Hello, and welcome to Africa Tech Summit Connects, sharing insights from across the African tech scene. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Nairobi 2021, taking place on September the 14th and 15th in Kenya. Africa Tech Summit Nairobi will connect 500 industry leaders and share insights from the Money and DeFi Summit, the Startup Summit, and the Mobile Summit. Network and do business with tech leaders, investors, startups, and leading ventures from the African tech ecosystem over two days with multiple networking events at our 10th live edition. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Nairobi, where African tech connects. September 14th and 15th 2021. To see more details, please visit www.africatechsummit.com. That's africatechsummit.com. Now back to this great episode. Welcome back. I'm so happy to be here today. We have a really exciting panel. And as I promised, we're going to talk about a super appetizing subject, food and technology. Um, so that should be great. Um, I wanted to give a little bit of background uh, to put this in perspective. Um, despite its central importance to our lives, uh, the UN estimates that about 14% of the world's food uh, goes to waste due to inefficiencies between harvest and retail, and even more is lost um, at the point of sale and consumption, almost a third of it. So today we have two fabulous panelists, uh, Dr. Eleni uh, from uh, Blue Moon, it's an incubator. Dr. Eleni Gabrimadin, welcome. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, and we also have uh, Kane from Twiga Foods. Um, so he's the C chief technology officer at Twiga, uh, a basically a food logistics company, but a fairly complicated and advanced one um, that I know that uh, Kane will, will let us know and give us the details on, on how they operate. Um, so with that background in mind, uh, against the, the backdrop of of um, the fact that so much food goes to waste in the world. Um, the pandemic also, we know, is um, could possibly disrupt uh, supply chains. Uh, and so we're looking at an interesting situation in the world in terms of food. The UN it has warned that millions of people are at risk for hunger and also poverty. So with that note, um, I'm gonna invite uh, my panelists to, to, to say a little bit about themselves, their company, and also tell me your favorite fruit, Eleni. You go first. Okay, thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me at the Tech Summit. This is exciting uh, to be uh, doing this and talking about food, especially now post-COVID. I think uh, there's one thing that really we've seen is just how important um, you know, addressing uh, food security is and building resilience in food systems. Uh, and also what I think uh, COVID has shown us is the power of innovation um, among young people in Africa. And that's what Blue Moon is all about. Um, so we were founded uh, three years ago, 2017, with the idea of, of finding that sweet spot between young people, youth, um, innovation and agriculture. And when we talk about agriculture, we're really looking at it broadly writ, uh, the whole the whole chain, so to speak. Uh, so not only cropping, but also livestock, dairy, fishery, uh, agroforestry, um, honey, 
etc. Uh, but also looking at um, inputs into agriculture, uh, you know, fertilizer and other inputs, but also what we do with the waste from agriculture, how we put uh, waste into waste tech, clean tech, um, and then also implications for health and nutrition. Uh, so we've had some health tech um, uh, and nutrition kind of uh, startup ideas. But what really at the core are interested in is, you know, digital um, enabled, um, innovative, scalable and people impact in, in the companies that we uh, identify and nurture incubate and launch as businesses so to date we've uh, incubated 87 startups that's a pretty huge number um we've they've raised um in terms of seed money um over a million dollars uh and have uh basically um you know gone on to 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 start operations um, and employ people and so on so we're we're pretty excited by the traction that we're getting in Ethiopia which is not the easiest place to to launch a startup uh, but you know it's getting better and better but yeah I'll stop there exciting exciting uh, a little bit later on I'm gonna ask you um, what the criteria is uh, for joining your incubator if there's any young entrepreneurs out there and just uh, you know, who, who are really excited about this prospect. So hold hold that thought. Okay, we're gonna go to to Kane. Um, Kane, tell us a little bit about Twiga and yourself. Yeah. So thanks, thanks, Neander. Uh, so Twiga is essentially a, a B two B business that uh, distributes uh, fresh fruit, produce, uh, essentially anything a shop would need. And our goal really is to bring efficiency into the supply chain. So we started out about uh, five and a half years ago, working with uh, banana farmers, helping them get their produce to market in an efficient way. Uh, did that for about two years, uh, then expanded to other products. And then from there, we then scaled to uh, uh, any type of product a shop may need. So essentially we're a B2B logistics company, uh, but we use technology to really help the business uh, be efficient from, uh, from all facets uh, end to end. So uh, really our mission is quality food at the lowest price. And that's what we've uh, been trying to do and continue to do uh, as, a, as a business. And uh, I'm glad to be with, uh, with, uh, with the fellow panelists. Uh, for those who don't know Twiga, could you give us a sense of your size and your clients? We've talked about this. This is not just big, you know, big hotels and inst you know, institutional clients. Who are your clients? Yeah. So. Um, our clients vary, and uh, the way to contextualize this is, uh, I think, when you look at how food is sold in uh, in Africa specifically, a lot of it is done through uh, informal trade. Uh, only 30%, at least in Kenya, is done through uh, modern trade. So we serve the informal trade, and when you look at specific subsectors like uh, fresh produce, uh, over 90% uh, of food is sold through uh, uh, your roadside stall, your kiosk, your, your small shop. So that's really who we target. They've uh, historically had the biggest challenge in getting quality food uh, at an efficient price. And so that's the, the market we, we've been targeting uh, to date. Uh, right now we serve, I think, about uh, 7,000 of them uh, in, on any given day. So yeah, good, good progress to date. Excellent. This is very, very, very interesting. I, we skipped something that I will I'll take a lead on. So my favorite fruit is passion fruit. Eleni, favorite fruit? <laughs> Mango. Okay. Uh, I would say bananas, because that's what we started. So 
that, that's my go-to fruit. <laughs> I love it. All of that. Mango is delicious. It's wonderful. It's also as a, as a, as a good uh, moisturizer. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, now, um, what I wanted to know, you know, money is the central <laughs> aspect of, of a lot of these conversations. For an incubator, uh, you are, um, you know, you, you, I, I know that you basically hold your entrepreneur's hands. You mentor them. You give them all kinds of training. You give them access to things, including uh, investors. Tell us a little bit about the successes or the challenges that you found trying to facilitate investment into the companies that you've helped incubate, and also your general view of your understanding of how investors look at the food food sector, uh, Eleni. Excellent question, and definitely one of our key challenges. Obviously, um, you know, when we talk about entrepreneurship, uh, everybody always says, oh, I need money, I need access to finance. And of course, uh, and you've already said it, that isn't actually usually the critical, uh, you know, stumbling block or hurdle. It's really actually getting, um, you know, the the, the right uh, mentoring and, um, and, and, and getting customers uh, interested in your product uh, and that's the best way to attract money however that said because we are in that innovation space I mean to give you an example we have somebody who's doing you know working with um, fitting sensors into beehives for smart beekeeping so that the beekeeper would be alerted when there's you know um, the heat temperature goes up in the beehive and they have a hundred beehives they don't know where the the problem is so this is a you know smart uh, and, and you know using very precise sort of artificial intelligence tools and everything um we've got you know all sorts of innovations that when when a traditional investor um the bricks and mortar type of investor in in africa that we know people that are investing in real estate or um you know things like that you know look at a business like that they're like this is too risky banks don't want to get near this so so where we are is really needing to have venture capital um high risk capital let's say um and right now in ethiopia you know the vc presence is minimal um there's not even any acknowledgement of of uh, venture capital in the financial sort of regulatory um structure so these are things that we've been lobbying uh, on getting uh, changed uh but but while we're waiting for VC capital to kind of move into Ethiopia, uh, we can't wait. So where are we going? So what we've been working on um, is uh, working with angel investors. So we've recently launched the Addis, uh, Addis Ababa Angels Network because that risk capital that comes, you know, at a $50,000 ticket is not um, just the money, but it's uh, the, the the mind share of somebody who's seasoned an angel, a business angel who, you know, has been, um, you know, has domain knowledge, has sort of business acumen and can work closely uh, with companies. So for us, uh, that's kind of uh, where we are now really focused on is is building this this uh, tradition and um, an interest in angel investing, which, by the way, is also uh, not so so uh, obvious either. Um, although people regularly invest in, you know, a beauty salon or a cafe or a taxi, uh, they'll buy a bus, a taxi uh, van, whatever minivan for their, you know, uh, younger brother or something like that. But to invest in a again in a sort of a high tech uh, environment again is is not something that is very um, you know usual. So so working with people who are interested in that space and it's been pretty exciting. Uh, we're starting to see traction. Um, you know when uh, the the recent sale of Paystack you know happened, I immediately tweeted saying this is amazing. 
this is major because this signals um, that that you know that we we can actually go places with uh, tech startups in Africa. Twiga is an, another one of my favorite examples, Kane, because um, you know again it shows uh, that scaling and and getting um, investment um, you know uh, interest is possible when you have the right model, the right um, you know everything else uh, being. Uh, being in play uh, so yeah so so I think right now you know we are working on this angel investment side and the other thing is uh, to build a fund so what we're now looking at is is uh, developing a sidecar fund uh, for Blue Moon and um, and maybe engaging both private and public sector uh, uh, partners uh, limited partners I, I, I wanted to ask overall do you feel like investors think food is a, a hot topic you know, are they putting their money where their plate is? I think the the fact that um, agri and food security, um, you know, nutrition. I mean, these are things that I think people will invest in. And I and I I don't. To me, the sell has not been, uh, you know, invest in agriculture because it's important. It's really invest in innovative startups that are going to do high risk things, but those high risk things will also have a high impact potential. Um, and and so to make that case uh, is really what's been hard. Important. Um, okay. I, I uh, wanted to add, add there a note on the on the bees, just so that no one misses it. Um, so bees are critically important, as I understand, actually to pollination and to the ecosystem, which is why that solution that you were talking about is so important. So that take that beehive. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go to Kane now. Kane, can you tell us a little bit about, for those who don't know Twig again, um, when you guys were founded and a little bit about your process as, as Eleni mentioned, uh, getting funding, how challenging or, or, or successful that was. Uh, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about what happened there. Sure, thanks. Uh, so I, I joined the company uh, about uh, one year ago when it had been in operations for about uh, 12 or so months. And uh, at that point, the good thing is the business model or the, the reason for Trigger to continue to exist had been kind of figured out. And the issue is really simple because uh, when you look at the amount of losses between farmers and vendors, uh, and Trigger was really essentially coming in to optimize that value chain, make it more efficient, minimize the losses. Uh, through that process, you could actually do a couple of things in addition to kind of validating the business model. Uh, farmers could get a higher price, which means you always uh, preference as far as farmers are concerned. Uh, on the other end, you have vendors who are getting good quality food. So that was a net positive for them. And then within the value chain, in the process of moving goods from A to B, uh, you've essentially minimized the losses because you see losses as high as 40%. Uh, right now, that's in the single digits. So the journey really to getting interest from people uh, to come and essentially put in the, the uh, funding for equity was really because Trigger was really optimizing and building up this value chain that was not only applying to bananas as uh, there was the case then but could easily be replicated uh, to other value chains other verticals so the uh, i mean fundraising is never easy let no one say it's a it's a hook in the park but provided you can prove what you're trying to do, provided it's very clear that there's a business goal uh, and it's sustainable, uh, then I think um, it's something that any business, especially in food, uh, given uh, as Elena has mentioned, it's it's a necessity. I mean, when you think of food, transport, shelter, these are things that uh, humans will always gravitate to and want to be uh, addressed for them one way or another. 
So, so yeah, I would say it's really the fact that we're able to show early enough that um, building an efficient value chain uh, makes uh, social and economic sense. Interesting. Makes sense there. Um, I wanted to uh, then dive into the one of the main topics we're here for, which is technology and the deployment of technology. I'm super excited to hear what's going on. Eleni, you already talked a little about, about the Beehive, the Beehive uh, technology company, which is super cool. So, but I wanted to preface it with uh, the fact that uh, as we're talking against the backdrop of what uh, of food waste, as we mentioned before, the United Nations has uh, the development goal number 12, I believe, which is all about trying to reduce food waste um, by 2030. So then, uh, Dr. Uh, Eleni, let us know, how are your different startups, some of the most exciting startups in your incubator using technology to, to basically help attain this, 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 this UN development goal of, of reducing food waste and then also in other ways? Yeah, well, so <clears throat> um, uh, about two years ago, uh, one year into uh, Blue Moon, we kind of came up with a strategy around uh, tech and, and just broadly digital agriculture, you could say, which is that basically we wanted to make sure that every company that came in uh, was able to use t technology in some way or another. So we weren't interested in just getting a company that wanted to produce honey and help, you know, get us to help the market better or something like that. Um, and so, uh, so we built um, and uh, and got uh, funding to uh, put up um, a state of the art, in fact, the only state of the art agri-tech innovation lab in Africa called Blue Lab. Um, and so Blue Lab has uh, four pillars, you could say five really, but um, uh, the four are blockchain, um, IoT, Internet of Things, so robotics, sensors, etc. Um, and then 3D printing, digifabrication, and uh, electronic or mobile commerce. Um, and so the idea was that somebody comes in with you know, any kind of uh, innovative business idea, it's not necessarily that, you know, it's a tech tech-enabled business, but we can add value to it and add a layer of, of you know, uh, scalability and, um, and also differentiation uh, by adding a tech layer. So just to give you an example, uh, we had a company that in our first batch actually that wanted to do um, urban food waste or, or let's say organic matter from, from uh, urban um, uh, garbage dumps, whatever. Um, turning that into uh, natural fertilizer. They didn't want to call it organic because of you know, regulatory issues. So natural fertilizer tailored to different uh, types of cropping. Um, so we thought that was a great idea, but we thought, what if, now here comes the, the Blue Lab um, support that we would give them. What if we were able to also embed sensors into the bags of fertilizer so that when the farmer plants uh, with the fertilizer, they're also embedding uh, a sensor sort of seamlessly uh, into their into their land. Um, and that sensor would pick up attributes of the soil that we would then be able to uh, use that data to build a database around, you know, uh, different soil kind of uh, soil mapping, if you will, that would then enable not only the company itself to better tailor 
their fertilizer uh, product uh, to different types of soil uh, as they're building up this database, but also enable other farmer facing businesses to also use that data. So that was an example of, you know, these are, they were actually mechanical engineers. They were interested in, you know, the churning of the compost and turning that into a fertilizer product. Uh, but that, and so they didn't come in saying, hey, we want to do something digital, but we were able to add that value. Uh, and I could give you many other examples, sensors uh, that we're working on with uh, a coffee bean drying machine, for example, that we have. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, a company very similar to Tupiga uh, in Ethiopia uh, called Gabayad. Uh, which actually won the Slush Global Impact Accelerator uh, in Finland also in 2017 from our first batch. And they, you know, their idea was very much to build, um, you know, the whole the whole chain um, in some ways similar to Twika, but where we kind of got stuck is that Ethiopia's mobile commerce environment is nowhere near where we are in Kenya. Uh, so then we started to have to go back and say, okay, let's now work on the API interface. Let's go talk to the National Bank. Let's, you know, sort this out uh, at a completely, you know, sort of basic level. Um, so, so there's a lot of things that this lab um, uh, has been working on. Um, uh, and, and then we were able to actually pivot the lab uh, last April to start uh, 3D printing uh, face shields for the COVID response. So that was something that also kind of uh, was helpful that we uh, basically had the technology. So the, you know, the, the lab is, so, so if you will, the lab are the sort of the geeks who just love tinkering with technology. They're not necessarily entrepreneurs. So what we do is we, we run sort of um, calls for, for the geeks to come in and, and uh, join the lab. And then we match the geeks with the entrepreneurs. Um, so the entrepreneurs are trying to solve a problem um, and they may not necessarily have their hands on sort of the latest uh, cutting edge technology, but they, they want to solve the problem the best they can. So that's the marriage that we kind of uh, arrange, if you will, uh, with the, the Blue Lab supporting the, the Blue Moon startups. Um, and that's been a, a really exciting thing to see some of the things coming out of that. Um, and I could uh, give you a few more examples, but I have to remember as we... No, that's 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 actually all already. That's really really interesting and 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 really inciting. First of all, to know know what your trash is, know what it's doing in the soil, and know you know and basically to be able to make fertilizer, which is super important, which is also I think a very costly input into agriculture. And so if you can you know convert um, um, you, you, as we were speaking urban uh, waste. Uh, that that's a that's a way to get costs down. That's actually very interesting, um, and it's it looks like to me that you basically you you add a layer of tech to whatever to your point, whatever you find. Like oh, great idea, let's techify this. So um, you're like uh, you're like the the lab in the uh, the you're like the lab in the Bond movies. I forget what that lab is called now, but you know James Bond goes there to, to get his set, tech set up. So that's yeah, that's what that lab. <laughs> Kane. Um, tell me a little bit about Twiga, because I know that I'm thinking when you said that you service uh, 7,000 clients all over the place, many of them probably in informal markets, how are you getting food to them? How are you using technology to, to enable that? Yeah, thanks. So technology drives a lot of the day-to-day -day decisions uh, at Twiga. Delivery being one of them. So you can imagine informal trade has no uh, addressing system. But we need to figure out how do you get 7,000 drops done. And uh, because it's food that needs to be sold, it needs to be done as quickly and as early as possible. 
So that's one of the areas where technology really shines for us. So every day by 6 p.m., uh, receive all the orders. These are then fed into our system that does all the planning and the routing of vehicles. And then when the delivery team uh, arrives at the depot in the morning to then take the produce and do deliveries, it's already been prearranged and scheduled for them uh, in which order the delivery should be done. So this is all done through a process where we have to go and physically map each and every vendor, understand uh, their geolocation, take a photo of the shop uh, to help us understand um, how the shop looks uh, as a secondary identifier. And then on the back of all that, um, you then have a process by which, uh, as the orders come in, uh, any 7,000 can place an order. So we need to kind of take all that, look at it in aggregate, and then uh, run, and then do the routing plan uh, for, for the teams the next day. So, so that's one area where we, we use technology heavily. The other one is uh, we try to be as cashless as possible. Uh, and I know in the, in the whole, uh, I mean, during the whole COVID period, there's been a big push to go uh, digital or cashless, uh, as it may be. But this is something that was really core to our strategy from the beginning because trying to collect 7,000 payments via cash would have been a tall order, uh, COVID-19 or no COVID-19. So we've really worked hard on ensuring that as much of our payments are digitized. So even on the farming side, for example, uh, when, we, when we get supplies from farmers, uh, we pay them through the digital money. Um, we send money either to their wallet or to their bank account. We actually don't handle cash when, uh, when paying suppliers, uh, specifically farmers, uh, who have come from, a, um, I guess, a, uh, a historical background where they always had to meet a broker, get paid in cash, and it was always um, a touch-heavy transaction, so to speak. Uh, through our value chain, we try to get as much real-time visibility as we can. Uh, we deal with perishables and time-sensitive goods. So the earlier we know how much are we selling, how much are we buying, where is it in the value chain, uh, how many orders do we have to fulfill the next day. So a lot of our decisions um, are driven and made in real time. And this is really enabled by the technology and systems we've built uh, over, over the past couple of years. Uh, and I think looking forward, uh, there are some exciting opportunities coming up, especially around IoT. So I've just finished a pilot where uh, we did equip a farm with various sensors, which were all uh, IoT, uh, IoT enabled. And the idea there was, can we get uh, weather data in real time? Can we get the uh, soil conditions in real time? Uh, and then that was successful from a technology point of view. So we're now trying to see how we can uh, expand that uh, to some of the other farmers and suppliers that, uh, that we work with. So, I mean, I could go on and on giving examples, but I think those two suffice in terms of just showing how how we are currently using technology in our, in our food value chain. Uh, the, uh, I found it interesting. So the, uh, overall, are you able to tell uh, how much, um, uh, say, a particular farmer gives you uh, over, say, a course of a year, how much the yield is? You're able to grill, drill down to quite a lot of granularity. Or are you also able to track in any given time, you know, where a parcel of food has come from? You know, and are you and uh, and when you speak about technology in that sense, are you using blockchain? What specifically are you using to 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 track? Yeah, sure. So um, to answer your first question, yes, we we do have quite a lot of data, uh, and and the thing with data is uh, sometimes it's it's a bit of a a paradox in the sense of what do you analyze? <laughs> you want to show you analyzing. Uh, the right things what gives you as a business the most value. So the examples you have highlighted are some of the things we can do and we are doing some of them. Uh, and as, as we continue to collect more information, especially around uh, 
ordering patterns, buying patterns. We recently expanded to a, a second seat in Kenya, so we're not able even to do a comparative analysis of what are the ordering patterns in Nairobi vis-a-vis -vis Kisumu, which is a second city we launched in. Uh, are there any differences we need to make to our operations? The great thing is all this is data-driven. It's not just done on a hunch or on a whim, uh, but, but we can actually look at uh, all the data and information we have and say, let's make an informed decision. So really data drives a lot of the day-to-day -day decision making. Uh, and that's something that we're really proud and, uh, and grateful of uh, as, a, as a company. Um, as to whether we use blockchain, not at the moment. Reason being for us, given uh, we manage and uh, essentially generate all the information we need, uh, we're able to do that through alternative means. Uh, blockchain at the end of the day is just a way to store and manage information. Now, if you get to a point where maybe you're looking at exporting or there may be a regulatory change that one needs to very, uh, verify and validate information in a specific way, uh, then the opportunity to look at blockchain as a tool and mechanism to do that, uh, I think would, would, uh, would suffice. For now, I've not gone down that path. Uh, we've really focused on just making sure we get good data and high quality data. And then uh, blockchain can be a potential future consideration for us as a business. Thank, thank you for that. Uh, that's, that's very interesting. And, and um, I think I want to ask an overall question, step back and ask, uh, what is the future of food technology on the continent? And against the, against the backdrop of what we've talked about, uh, food security, food safety, for example, if there were no imports, would the continent be able to sustain itself? And, and is technology a, a major key to, to how that can be enabled? What do you say, Dr. Lenny? Yes, um, absolutely. I think that agri-tech right now is, you know, I, I, I've, I've been quoted saying it's the new fintech. Um, and that's a big statement to make. But I, I do believe that uh, we are going to see some major uh, innovations uh, coming out of Africa in agri-tech. There are so many ways uh, that uh, we can really move the needle um, in, in improving not just production itself, but logistics and marketing, uh, data uses, and then, you know, the waste out of agriculture. And, and there are so many uh, different um, uh, technologies coming out. And, and actually, in, even in Silicon Valley, agri-tech is, is, you know, kind of uh, becoming the new uh, thing uh, in in uh, venture capital investment. Um, one thing I wanted to mention on blockchain that uh, as Kim was speaking, I wanted to mention one of the companies that we're incubating is using blockchain in a really cool way, uh, which is to raise investment by urban dwellers to basically um, invest in a farm. So I sit in Addis Ababa, I would love to have a farm. There's no way that I'm going to go, you know, uh, and live and be a farmer, but I'd love to be part of a farm. So um, this blockchain um, um, app that or this, this technology that uh, our, one of our teams is developing is basically enabling uh, a smart contract uh, between this urban investor who now can track everything that happens. When is the fertilizer applied? When is the weeding being done? When did the planting get done? Um, now they're going to market, you know, all that whole thing and to build sort of a, a transparency in, in the entire operation uh, of farming until they get a, a you know, the, the return. Um, so that's kind of a, a cool uh, company. It's called Farmily. And it's basically the idea we are family. We're all going to farm together. So that's using blockchain in a, in a cool, um, innovative way. Um, and there's just so many other things that, you know, I, I was looking at a list of just all the things that we've been working on. Hydroponics, a company called Grow Hydro that's built uh, vertical farming. And not just for people 
in rural areas, but for urban uh, condominium dwellers, so urban farming. So on the balcony of these condominiums that are being built by the government as public housing, uh, where really there's a huge number of, you know, just thousands and thousands of units. If you can just take a, a you know, two meters by, by one meter space and have a vertical farm grow your vegetables uh, on your balcony. Um, and, and, and so that's one of the companies we're working on. I already mentioned, you know, IoT applied to beekeeping. Uh, we have another company um, which has actually raised quite a bit of money and is working on a live animal market. So uploading uh, information from cattle yards because, um, you know, we have the largest livestock holding in Africa. How can we disrupt the livestock market? This is a multi-billion-dollar market, um, and so applying that technology there, you know. So, so there are so many um, different applications um, in agritech, uh, and I just think right now it's explosive, and we're going to see in the next few years just some amazing uh, innovations. Uh, just to, uh, first of all, all of that is very, very interesting, especially since um, I think uh, there have been many programs done where, where you interview people on the street and you ask them, where does your food come from? Where does your cheese come from? And people say the store. And uh, for example, formerly that you mentioned, that gives uh, people a sense of actually, where does your food come from? How much it, does it actually take to bring it to your table? And it gives people a sense of perspective. I, I really thought that was very interesting. Um, I want to just, uh, again, just emphasize the question about, though, do we have a sense if the content will be able to sustain itself in terms of a food if there was no food aid or food import? I know that's that's data that may not be readily handily, you know, in our heads. But what's your sense, Dr. Eleni, quickly there? Um, so coming to that really important question, Nianda, I mean, um, uh, if I recall correctly, Africa imports $30 billion worth of food. Um, and I don't think that's going to change in the immediate future. Um, yes, we are making, um, you know, advances and there are exciting innovations that are uh, emerging. But um, unfortunately, I cannot uh, tell you that uh, Africa, even with you know, all the technology we are currently working on will in the next five years be able to sustain itself. Now, do we have the potential to become, you know, a breadbasket and, and food self-sufficient? Uh, over a decade, maybe. Um, there, there, you know, there are countries, uh, Burkina Faso, Ethiopia itself, uh, um, you know, and several other countries like uh, Senegal and others that have really shown Rwanda that are really increasing agricultural productivity yield. I mean, it's a yield story. How can we increase yield um, and achieve uh, the kinds of yields that you see elsewhere? Um, and and so yeah, we, this is the challenge. I don't think we're quite there yet. So I guess my answer is not as as, as optimistic as I'd like it to be. Oh, okay, it's a it's a journey. It makes sense. It's a journey. Uh, um, Kane, um, this is a related question, and you you're also welcome to address if you had anything to add on that the question about sustainability or whether Africa can sustain itself. But um, is the continent ready to deal with climate change? And interestingly enough, I think this feeds into what you do and. And, and does your company, uh, do you take um, pains to, to diversify your, your food supply chain just in case there's any kind of dis disruption? I know that the two questions baked into one. <laughs> one is climate change and the other one, um, you know, how, how have you handled potentially diversifying a supply chain to make sure that's not disrupted by anything, whether it's a pandemic or climate change? Sure. So actually, I think the, the climate change question is tied to uh, the question of sustainability, because I think 
the drive for us to be sustainable in terms of uh, self-sufficiency as far as food is concerned is intertwined with what climatic changes are happening uh, across the world. Uh, and I think just to add to uh, Eleni's point, I mean, many studies have shown 60% of the world's arable land or thereabouts is in Africa. Um, as, uh, I mean, as a, as a human population, we produce enough food to feed uh, 10 billion people a day. The reason we can't is because of inefficiencies, things like yield, as has been alluded to. We focus a lot on the supply chain and what we call post-harvest loss, because 40%, at least in sub-Saharan Africa, is lost between a uh, farm and, uh, and vendor. And that's for the good products. Some lose 70, 80%. So I think, yes, uh, and doesn't take too much. Uh, it's not an overnight solution. I think it'll take a few years, but I think the journey has started and the interest shown in especially ag tech, um, in the ag tech sector uh, is, is part of the journey to us being self-sustainable. Uh, how this plays into climate change is, just looking at trends, I think the uh, predictions are the next 100 years we'll see a two degree uh, increase in uh, average world temperature. So the challenge here for us is, can we ensure that we continue to uh, get better yields, be more sustainable, be more efficient. It's not the fact that it won't happen, it will happen and it is happening, but it's how, how well prepared are we for it. And if we address that early enough and make the necessary and correct interventions, then uh, we should we should be in a, in a, in a good place. Um, for us, it's something we're very close to. Uh, food is time sensitive. It's something we have to deal with day in, day out. So even seasonality affects us. So climate change is something we just see as a natural extension of that and making sure that we can always deliver good quality fresh food to, to those that we serve on a daily basis. I, I got it there. So basically, if we can really use technology to, to cut down on you know, inefficiencies, loss, waste, um, um, and increase yields, first of all, you know, the continent, even the world, could, could be completely self-sustainable. Makes sense. Um, I wanted to ask, wrap up a little bit, because we're nearing uh, the, the, the end of this exciting conversation about food, um, is um, if you had a, um, a policy Christmas list, or even also a, a commercial Christmas list of the things that would you know, enable you to grow and enable also the agri-tech sector to grow, what would that be, uh, Dr. Eleni? What, what, what's your take on that? I would say the most important thing we need to do is allow innovation to flourish. There is so much talent in Africa. Not only do we have 60% of the world's arable land remaining, we also have the fastest growing educated tech savvy workforce uh, and that is you know, below the age of 29. So my uh, wish list would be very simple. Create a regulatory sandbox. Allow technology innovations uh, to flourish without the burden of the excessive amount of red tape that it takes to start a company, close a company, uh, you know, promote a company in Africa. Um, and I know this in Ethiopia, this is for me the paramount issue. If we could just let a thousand flowers bloom, as they say, uh, we would see big things happening in this in, in agriculture and in ag tech. Uh, Kane, what's your take? What's your wish list? Uh, exactly the same. Uh, support for innovation, specifically research and development. I think historically, uh, governments uh, and policymakers have looked at agriculture as a uh, a tax source. Uh, and the reason that has been the case is because agriculture has been one of the main uh, revenue earners for most countries uh, for the past few decades. So if governments can be more proactive and uh, kind of think around how do we spur innovation, how do we, how do we spur 
research and development to happen on the continent and give the appropriate incentives and uh, potentially tax breaks, I think then uh, most, I would say that will really get us uh, a long way to meeting our goals uh, on food sustainability. Makes sense. And, um, uh, you know, um, makes sense to create the regulatory environment for, 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 for growth in, in the industry. Um, I wanted to add one more thing that we didn't bring up, which I, which I love. Eleni, could you share with us what your title is again at uh, Blue Moon? Oh. <laughs> I am Chief Happiness Officer at Blue Moon. <laughs> I love that. How did you come up with Leave that? <laughs> Well, I got tired of uh, thinking of uh, a head of an organization as a CEO. I've been there, done that. But it's really about what is, is it about executing things? Is it about managing? Or is it really about making, really creating happiness at a fundamental level, making your investors happy, your employees happy, your partners happy? If we do that, we've, we've done what we're supposed to be doing on this earth. Excellent. Eleni, Dr. Eleni Kane, thank you so much. I love that wrap up. It's about food, putting food on the table and that makes me happy and that should make everyone happy. <laughs> thank you once again. I've learned a lot about Agritech. Thanks. Bye-bye. To hear the latest episodes, please subscribe to our channel. You can also visit www.africatechsummit.com for our upcoming events and news.